0: seated. Imagine if you were told by someone that everything you wanted most in life could be yours if you would just scale this one mountain. If you were like me, you'd get in shape, you'd begin working out, you'd build muscle, you'd build endurance. We would spend a lot of money. Like this is a big mountain, so we spend a lot of money on getting the gear and getting the training and spend years of our life. Imagine, we went under, underwent years of specialized training of, of climbing a really high, difficult mountain until finally, in a once-in-a-lifetime chance, you climbed that mountain. It was hard. It was harrowing, but... You made it And then when you got to the top There was a guide there With a couple of other climbers And as you talked to him And you described that mountain that you were climbing He responded Sir, you climbed the wrong mountain Are you climbing the wrong mountain in life? This world, this modern world, has so many compelling pursuits that is so, so easy to miss. The one glorious mountain. In a, in a world full, a mountain range of options, how do you know you're climbing the right mountain? That is the question for today. But here is the Easter truth. You don't have to climb a mountain to gain what you are searching and longing for today. Jesus has climbed the mountain for us. He came down to this world so that he can climb the mountain of sin on the cross. My sin, your sin. And today, his resurrection proves that his mission of redemption was complete and victory over death was his. And subsequently, those of us in the room who have faith in him is ours as well. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. I want to read more about that. I want to talk about that today. We've been journeying through the book of Mark, and we got through, we got about the middle of chapter 3, and then we jumped to, to, uh, to the end, chapter 15. Now we're in uh, chapter 16, verses 1 to 8, we will be back in chapter 3. We will cover all of the book of Mark, so come next week, we'll be back in Mark chapter 3. And as you're turning there, Mark chapter 16, we pick up where we left off on Friday evening. And that is that Jesus, on that Friday, was put in the grave. He was put in the grave. He breathed his last. And he was put in the grave, sealed by a stone. Saturday went by and it was complete silent at that tomb. I think it's interesting though. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that day. You know what happened that Saturday? The Jews that came for the Passover feast to Jerusalem, you know what they did that day? They went to worship. They they went to their Sabbath worship on that Saturday and there was the Messiah in his tomb, dead. You ever thought about that? That silent day was silent for around the tomb, but it wasn't for those Jewish people who still wait for the Messiah. They missed it. There Jesus was in the tomb. We pick up in Mark chapter 16, and and, and it's a very Markish way to cover the resurrection if you think about it. He is very brief. And Mark has always been very blunt and fast-moving, and that is the case in our passage today. It's interesting to me that, that Mark focuses on the empty tomb, where the other gospel accounts more focus on the testimonies of the empty, empty tomb. And so we have a very concise uh, uh, very concise uh, telling of the resurrection. William Barclay said, one, one thing is certain. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we would never have heard of him. The attitude of the disciples was that everything had finished in tragedy. By far the best proof of the resurrection is the existence of the Christian church, 2,000 years old. And I'm not going today uh, to defend the resurrection. I really trust the Holy Spirit. If you need evidence of the resurrection... I, I am praying, and I trust the Holy Spirit will, will bring that to you this morning. I can't do that, and we're not going to try to do that today. I trust that he will, although there, are, there is plenty of historical, archaeological, and literary evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it is true that that we are here. The church is here, and we are the evidence of the resurrection, that it is true. And those of us who are in Christ, we come, to, we come today today. It's our Super Bowl of worship because, man, we know this to be true. The church is alive. The church is growing. God is moving, and the church is thriving. Let us read together in Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, which would be Sunday, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? What were they saying? That's one real heavy stone. It would have weighed at least about 800 pounds. I don't know about you, but I cannot move 800 pounds. They were wondering on their way. They didn't have a plan how they were going to roll that stone away, verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Listen, you would be too. When was the last time you saw an angel with your own eyes? I never have, but I'd be sore afraid, as the Scripture says. I mean, I don't know what sore means, but I'd be really, really afraid. It, was, it would scare the socks off, off of all of us. In verse 6, don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. I think that's really important, that this very specific, who are you looking for? You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And listen to the way Mark wraps up this story. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. N.T. Wright says the resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. If you remember, if you've been journeying with us through the book of Mark, that is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1. He said the kingdom of God has come And what that meant was the king has come near, and that is Jesus Christ. So N.T. Wright expounds on that, the resurrection. What we're here to remember today and what we're reading about completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ, and listen to this, and that you're now invited to belong to it. I love that. There's an invitation for us today. David Luce writes, the resurrection isn't a conclusion, it's an invitation. And man, it is such an incredible invitation. I heard a pastor, about a pastor one Sunday morning, he was preaching to his congregation. He said, everyone who wants to go to heaven, when they die, come down to the altar now. And everyone came to the altar except one, Man in the back, and so the preacher repeated his invitation, and the man just sat there. He didn't move a muscle. And the preacher said, "Sir, don't you want to go to heaven when you die?" And the man replied, "Oh, when I die, I thought you were getting the group together right now to go." <laughs> yeah, Easter really is an invitation. And I, I, I use, if you're new, like I use jokes a lot, but but that's kind of a joking, not joking. Uh, little truth there, that that Easter is an invitation to be ready, to be ready for the now, and to have life now, and to have life abundantly. I want to point you to some simple, uh, some, uh, you might say foundational, but essential truths from our passage today about the specific invitations of Easter. The first is this, if you're taking notes, Easter is... Invites hope. If you look at verse 6, it says, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. And there's that moment. That the angel there uh, is, is enforcing what these, the despondency, the despair that these ladies, these three ladies, were experiencing. It's like their uh, hopes were dashed. You ever had your hopes dashed? Like you put so much faith in something, you put so much hope in something, and it didn't turn out. And there's that feeling of like, man, that's just, mm, it really kicks you in the gut. I don't think we can fathom how much hope was dashed for these three ladies. They had walked with Jesus for around three years. One of these ladies was possessed by a demon, and Jesus healed her and cast out that this demon very early, early on in Jesus' ministry and walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus personally. And these ladies, just three days earlier, were off in the distance watching their healer, watching their rabbi, watching their Savior die on that cross. It says that earlier on in the book of Mark that these three ladies were off in the distance watching. Can you imagine? what they were thinking, like, man, I thought this was it, this was a great man, but he's dead, he is gone, they even were bringing spices to anoint the body, and the reason why they would do that is they didn't go through an embalming process those days, and so to keep the body from as it was decaying, from smelling worse and worse, they would put these fragrant oils on the body, and so they were so uh, they were so confident that this that Jesus was dead and he would continue to be dead. They have come as he would continue to decay. They were come to put these oils on him so it wouldn't smell as he would decay. You see, their hopes were dashed. Their whole world had come crashing down in those few days. And their only hope had been buried in a grave. Then a situation that seemingly couldn't get worse quickly became a situation that couldn't get better. That's the turn. And that's why we are here this Easter Sunday. It couldn't get worse for them until it got so much better. It couldn't get better because it says he has risen. He is not here. See it for yourself. See it. Look, he is not here. And here's the truth out of verse 6. There is hope at the empty tomb. There is hope at the empty tomb. No matter where you are in life and no matter what you've done or the situation you find yourself in this morning on April, what's today? The 17th of 2022. No matter what you come with today, listen, the truth of verse 6 is that there is there is hope at the empty tomb. The most hopeless situation that any person will ever face has to do with our separation from God in eternity. Romans 6:23 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6:23 says for the wages of sin is death. Listen, that's the most hopeless situation that anyone will ever face. That's so difficult. It's something that we can't change. But it goes on to say, and someone needs to hear this today. I don't know who. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Listen, this is the good news. There is hope. In our most hopeless situation that we will ever face, God intervened. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10:9 If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. Listen my friends, my family. There is hope at the empty tomb. And at the empty tomb there also is something that is so sweet and so good. There is salvation at the empty tomb. There is hope for eternity. There is abundant life now and forever. And it is uniquely, it is uniquely found at the empty tomb in Jesus Christ because he has risen. Would you like to accept that gift that Jesus offers you today? It's an invitation to accept the most incredible gift. It's a really simple thing to do. This seems so so uh, so simple and yet so profound. It's, it's three things, ABCs. We teach this at Vacation Bible School this summer. We'll teach it again. How do you do that? You will simply admit that you're a sinner, that you messed up. I certainly uh, have sinned so much, and so have you, whether you realize it or not. And that separates us from God. But Jesus paid for that on the cross, and so you have to believe. That's the B. Believe that Jesus died on that cross, that he is the Son of God, and he rose on that third day in victory. Do you believe that today? And the third is confess. Confess Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. If you've never done that today, man, today would be the best day to do that. If you have any questions about that, all you have to do is say a simple prayer. And you can repeat it after me right now to the Lord, and he will hear it, and you will find new and abundant and eternal life right now. It's simply this. You don't even have to close your eyes. God will hear your prayer. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died for my sins, and then he rose on the third day from, my, from, from the grave. And from this point on, I want you to be my savior, and I want you to be my Lord, and I will live for you for the rest of my life. Just a simple prayer. It doesn't have to be those, those, those same words. It's just a simple process of realizing and admitting that you're a sinner, believing in Jesus Christ, and confess, confessing him as savior and Lord of your life. If you even right now, you said a prayer like that. Or if you're like, man, I've got questions. I've never done that. That connection card is the best place for you to just turn to the back and say, I'd like to talk to a pastor about finding hope in Jesus. I would love. It would be an honor. I will personally call you, and we can set up a meeting this week, and we will talk through that. And let's get what Jesus came to do to give you life. Let's get that settled for you because it was settled for me in November of 1988, and I've never been the same since. I have never been the same. You see, there is hope at the empty tomb. By the way, if you've ever done that, the next step of obedience is baptism. We're going to have baptism in a few weeks here on Sunday. And if you've never done that and taken the next step of obedience and baptism, also a thing you can put there on the connection card. I told you that thing was so handy. It's so handy. The second thing we find at the empty tomb is restoration. It's restoration. There is restoration at the empty tomb. The definition of, re- definition of restoration uh, is bringing back to a former position or condition. Was here, fell away, and then brought back and put back. And so in order to mind this truth, instead of focusing on who was there, which were these three ladies, we have to focus on who was not there. Who was not there, y'all? The disciples were not there. The men the disciples were not there and so it goes on to say see the place where they laid him verse 6 but go tell his disciples and peter go tell them what's happening he is going ahead of you into galilee to me this is such a kind thing that god sent this angel to send cuz when was the last time we saw peter he remember He was standing in the courtyard of the high priest, and there was a young lady, probably a girl, a young girl even, that came to Peter, and he he asked him, she asked him three times, hey, do you know Jesus? "Mm Mm-mm, I don't even know him. Second time, hey, do you know Jesus? "Um, You kind of look like a guy that followed Jesus. No, I don't know Jesus. Wait, weren't you with him? I mean, you sound like a Gal- Galilean the second, the third time. You sound like a Galilean. You'd be like us like who are Texan if you say y'all. Or if I were to ask you to say ranch, but you say ranch. <laughs> she picked up on, like, you're a Galilean. Like, you, you are one of those guys that were, that were following Jesus. And Peter says, no, I, I don't know him. I've never even met the man. That's the last time we saw Peter. And we find Peter leaving in the darkness, weeping, weeping, having denied his rabbi, Messiah, King Jesus. And then the angel says, go and tell the disciples, and names Peter. I love that. He names Peter. Look, Jesus has returned. He has risen, and he wants to meet with you. What does this say to us? Well, it says to us that Jesus is about the individual, not just the crowd, not just about people in general, not just about heroes, not just about the church, but to you and to me. Jesus is accessible to us, He is personal to us. Each of us can know him personally and intimately, not just as a figure in history, not just as a king, not just as this general sense, not like just like, like we know the President of the United States, like I, but I don't know him. Jesus is not like that. He is accessible to us and personal to us in a life-transforming, real, intimate way. And then when we fall away, it's not if. When we fall away guess what he calls our name and he says Peter I forgive you come on back you can enter your name whatever your name is Greg, Skip Alan, Amy Anita, I'm not going to call you all out right now but just know this Jesus loves to restore. At the tomb is restoration. He, I love this, he personally invites us back. He calls us by name and personally invites us back. Listen, if you were in the room today and you have denied Jesus, You have run from Jesus. You've been climbing every other mountain possible in this world except the the faith in Jesus Christ that you once knew. I feel strongly that this Easter Sunday that Jesus is calling you by name and says, come back to me. There is healing. There is forgiveness. There is grace. There is mercy. And there is love. Maybe today is your day of restoration where you begin again where you were, you were here with Christ, and you went away from Christ, and he's saying he wants to restore you back to here so you can begin moving further and further and closer and closer to him. I hope today, if that's you, that today is your day of restoration, that you begin again putting Jesus first and following after him with all of who you are. The third thing we find, the first, the third invite, we have an invite to hope and an invite to restoration But the eighth is this, or the third is this in verse 8, is an invite to respond. An invite of response. There must be a response at the empty tomb. You can't approach the tomb of Jesus and hear about it without somehow responding to it. Now in verse 8, there's a really interesting ending. What was their response? The angel said, Do not be afraid. They didn't listen. Because what does it say? Trembling and bewildered. They were afraid. They didn't know how to respond. And so the the angel's counsel not to be alarmed had little effect. As a matter of fact, the women were afraid, and, and they said nothing to no one. That's the double negative. I mean, that's how strong it was. I ain't saying nothing to no one. This is crazy. This can't be true. But then we know in the other gospels, as we look at Matthew chapter 28, 28, they ran to bring after this, they ran to bring his disciples' word. In Luke's account in Luke 24 verse 9, it says, They told all these things to the leaven and to all the arrest, to all the rest. In John's account, Mary Magdalene found the open tune and ran and came to Simon Peter. There's Peter again, and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved. And so their initial response in verse 8 was one of fear and fright. But then there was a turn where there was a response of obedience and joy. See, there's a turn in their response. Do you know what? We have to make a turn in the way we respond to the empty tomb as well. There's a man named Lee Strobel, and he was a journalist. He happened to be atheist, didn't believe in God, and he made it as a mission in life to prove that God was not real and Christianity is a farce. He just decided that all this was false and it can't be true. And there's a statement that he writes. It says this, in short, by the way, uh, before I read this, he encountered the truth of the resurrection and it led to a response of faith in Jesus Christ. He says this, in short, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist, He never promised any such thing. Indeed, following him would inevitably bring divine demotions in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. You see, he made that turn. He made a choice And to me, the band's going to come up, and we're going to have a closing song of celebration. may not seem like it, but listen, you'll get to it in a minute while we're going to celebrate, because there's two responses. There's really only two responses when we come face-to-face with the truth of the empty tomb. The first response is to be a waverer, a waverer. Now, that could be one of various different responses. It would be one of, can it be true, question mark? I think that's kind of what's happening here with these ladies. Is it true? Or it could be, it can't be true. Or we could say even stronger than that, it's not true. It's not true. This is not true. This is a farce. And today, we can choose to respond as a waverer or an empty tomb waverer, or we can respond as an empty tomb worshiper. And that is the only fitting response when we approach the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. For those of us who have put our faith in him, we come today to celebrate because we know, we know that we know, we know this is rich and right and true, and we have been transformed by the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And so today, here is the honest Easter truth. We pursue lots of things in life. We crawl all kind of mountains in life. I certainly have. Jesus is our highest gain. He is our richest asset. He is our greatest treasure. There's no mountain higher. There is no mountain better. He is not here in the tomb. He is risen. And he is risen in Let's leave with confident hope today. Let's leave in confidence that we can and are restored in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And let's leave today. As we stand together right now, stand with me. Let's leave today as empty tomb worshipers of our Messiah, Savior, King, Risen One, He.